0: of Earth, and welcome to UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan.
1: I'm Ryan
2: Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thank you so much for joining us. Once again, we are back.
0: Yes, thank you for joining us for this November 1st, 2016 episode. It is wonderful to be back after a longer than expected hiatus. If you've listened to the show before, we're excited you're back for more. And if this is your first time listening to UFO Mod Pod, thanks for checking us out. Before we get into what we're going to talk about today, we have some announcements First, as you may already be aware, Ryan's book, "Somewhere in the Skies: A Human Approach to an Alien Phenomenon," is out now. We're pretty excited for and proud of Mr. Sprague. Congratulations to you, sir.
1: Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's uh, finally. <laughs> I know it's been a long time waiting, and it's so good to finally say it's out. And, oh, I uh, bet. Get it out there. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: we'll talk more about the book later in the show. Also, while we're on the subject of books, I am announcing for the first time right here on UFO Mod Pod that I have a book coming out this month. And it is titled Only Weirdos See UFOs, An Introduction to the Public's Misperception of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena and Extraterrestrial Life. We'll certainly talk more about this book after its November 18th release, but I wanted to throw that out there. And you might have already heard about this, but we're also rolling out a new podcast next week titled Redactus. This is a fun project for us and something we've talked about doing for a while. Redactus is a fictional paranormal audio drama inspired by real events. If that's something that interests you, give it a listen next week and let us know what you think. Naturally, RoguePlanet.tv is where you will find that. All right, with uh, announcements out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the WikiLeaks elephant in the room. You're probably aware that WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks published tons of hacked email from the private account of John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager and former Obama advisor and former chief of staff to Bill Clinton. The media and some in the UFO community have really been enjoying drawing attention to the several emails that mention UFOs and or extraterrestrials. Many of these emails are from musician, serial entrepreneur, and UFO researcher Tom DeLong to Podesta related to DeLong's Secret Machines property, something we've discussed multiple times on this show, especially because Maureen and I worked with Tom on this property, among others. Other messages from the late Edgar Mitchell mention extraterrestrial intelligences and zero-point energy. And others are simply from random UFO and paranormal researchers who sent unsolicited emails to Podesta. Most of what is contained in these emails has been known for some time. So first I just want to make a couple quick comments about this, and then I want to hear what you guys have to say. First It was surprising to see the short-term memory issues with the press and with a surprising number of UFO researchers. It was being presented like this was the first time they were hearing about Tom and his contact with Podesta. In recent months, every media outlet has reported on Tom's UFO projects and on Podesta's UFO interests and disclosure efforts. So in the case of Tom and his interaction and involvement with Podesta... That's extremely old news. Tom has been publicly open about that and even posted a photo from when he met with Podesta to interview him in D.C. more than a year ago. He's all but named the senior level government and military advisors he's been working with for Secret Machines in multiple interviews. Some of those names were actually included in some of the hacked emails. This, of course, made some UFO researchers extremely giddy, and they were happy to spread this information and even proclaim support for Tom's effort now after publicly doubting him in the past and even ridiculing his efforts because, after all, he's only a rock star. Sure, as curious journalists, learning the names of some of these unnamed individuals is exciting, but anyone who believes that these individuals know anything with worthwhile related to UFOs and wants to hear what they have to say should understand that their exposure puts that possibility in jeopardy. Tom's already made it clear over and over again that these individuals are working with him as long as their anonymity is preserved. Now that some of these people have been outed, we'll have to wait and see if that affects Tom's projects and his plans. He even posted recently that, quote, I am still here. WikiLeaks recently messed some important stuff up. What seems like ridiculous subject matter to most is of massive importance to admirable national security leadership. It's easy to poke fun about the topic from an armchair, but unless you're invited to the meetings I have been a part of, then no more laughing. Big things are coming. Project is still on. Believe it or not, things just got bigger. Second, these Podesta emails are being heralded as some amazing disclosure effort. We already know Podesta's interested in UFOs and he's publicly advocated for the government to make public what it knows about UFOs. His involvements in documentaries about UFOs or his meetings with people to talk about UFOs has nothing to do with disclosure. It's just a guy interested in the subject who wants more information like we all do. And third, many people who are drooling over these emails are the same people who voice their displeasure regarding government surveillance and privacy issues, and who loudly proclaim that Hillary is awful because she used a private email server, potentially putting information at risk of being hacked. Yet, here we are, celebrating and basically condoning the hacking of someone's email account. In Podesta's case, a Gmail account. Essentially saying that stealing personal data is bad, unless it pertains to something we personally find interesting or important. I've honestly seen people responding that way, saying that because UFOs are are an important issue, it's okay to hack and spread information related to UFOs because we need to know the truth. Also, especially as UFO researchers, we are all too aware of the prevalence of fake documents and fabricated evidence, yet here we are blindly accepting what some criminal is giving us. There's so much speculation going on right now because of these emails, and seriously, hyping these emails as some grand important thing is almost as sloppy and sensationalist as certain UFO bloggers who hype up every cloud and lens flare as definitive proof of extraterrestrial visitation. I know I'm being a major Debbie downer right now. Yes, I agree this is really cool to see all this talk about UFOs in national news and among government and military officials. That's all it is at this point. Anything else is hype, hope, and speculation. And As I like to keep reminding people, Secret Machines isn't just about UFOs. It's not just a UFO project. Tom has publicly commented about that. Some of the high-ranking individuals involved are participating because Tom is attempting to improve the image of the military in the eyes of the public and to celebrate the incredible military accomplishments related to flight technology. It's not all UFOs, guys. Now, this whole thing shouldn't be surprising, though. It's just another example of how impatient we become in the age of instant and constant information. It's just like the constant need to know right now every little detail happening with the latest Star Wars movie or anything else in pop culture. Everyone wants leaked information, spoilers, et cetera, because we want to know everything right now. What do you guys think? I'd love to hear your take on this whole situation.
2: Um, yeah, it's... It's one of the things where you said most of this information we already knew. And um, I actually am of the opinion where I just I feel bad for Tom, too, because, you know, he was trying really hard to maintain confidentiality of all these people. And then now his uh, not not only is his personal email exposed, I'm sure he got a million emails from fans before they could shut that down. And then uh, also, you know, he's now in the position where he said he's having to do damage control because he actually was true to his word. And now uh, his huge project that he's invested a ton of money in when he wants this to be a positive thing for the UFO community is now not in ruins, but it's gone through this sort of struggle.
0: Yeah, and his reputation, sure, with these, these guys he gave his word to, you're right, his reputation has certainly taken a hit.
2: Right. And, and, you know, there was just a couple more emails released yesterday uh, to Podesta from Tom and one of them, you know, was talking about, hey, that project, the secret machines that's going on, all these fans I haven't even talked to you about yet are super interested. And he's like, I don't assume you care, but I do because these kids are caring and they're starting to get really passionate about the, the topic. Um, so that's really great. You know, we're getting all these, this new blood in trying to solve this mystery, or at least expose a little more about what's going on behind the scenes. And all these people are praising this as this big email. It's like, no, he's just saying, Hey, look, you know, people are looking for you, John, because you're interested in the topic and they are, and you're in a high place. So it's fascinating. And we also learned that John Podesta really likes risotto and is a great cook, apparently. You know, it's like <laughs> there's been nothing besides the leak, you know, of, of one or two generals' names involved in this that is is new. Um, so personally for me, I don't really see that we've gotten much, and this is the same with the Edgar Mitchell releases. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you manage to get, let's say I got um, – John Podesta's assistant's email from somebody because I was like, "Hey, I want to set up an interview," um, and then I start emailing them. That's basically what was reviewed, saying, "Hey, I'd really like to talk to you about UFOs. I know you're very passionate about this subject. Let's discuss it. I think I might have some insight." You know, and that's basically all it was. It's not this right. whole groundbreaking disclosure. Um, does it mean that there won't be something interesting in the future that comes from? You know, the Podesta-DeLong camp? No. Maybe there's little tidbits that actually will hold merit and we'll all learn something new. Uh, but at this point in time with these emails, it's just – it's not there yet. So Absolutely. I'm-
1: yeah. I mean, look, Maureen, you said it right there. I mean, I'm sure – that will get some information from Podesta when we see this documentary that comes out from DeLong. Um, you know, probably nothing earth shattering, but, uh, like you said, these are one-sided emails. We're not seeing any response necessarily from Podesta. Um, so again, it's kind of these people, Edgar Mitchell included, um, sh- kind of shouting into the void as it were. Um, but I've gone back and forth on DeLong for a while now with this entire Secret Machines project. But uh, you both brought up a good point that it is—it's apparent how passionate DeLong is in actually getting uh, true information out there. Now, whether or not he's getting that true information from the people he's uh, speaking to is a is entirely a different conversation. But
0: um, this does
1: this does show you know, the sincerity and how genuine he is in getting the information he's being told by the military out there about UFOs and or the aviation technology right. uh, we have here on Earth. Um, it is fascinating. I I, I I hope to see an evolution in this story. But right now, again, these are one sided emails and uh, we really have nothing else to go on except that emails were hacked. This was done illegally and that mm-hmm. is not how we want to get the information.
0: So, I mean, yeah, I mean I like to think of it on a more personal level. You know, all three of us have many conversations about UFOs in our emails. And I have a Gmail account, you know, all these people saying that oh yeah, UFOs are this important subject, which I totally agree with, but because UFOs are such an important subject, then that makes it okay to to hack accounts and spread that information out because we all deserve to know about UFOs. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't agree with that at all. You don't need to know that I'm emailing Ryan and Maureen saying, hey, let's do our UFO podcast today. Um, you know, hey, that's, that's breaking that's, news, man. That's breaking news, earth-shattering. People will say, "Holy shit!" Jason, Ryan, and Maureen are talking about UFOs. Disclosure what? is coming. What? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, the private conversations. I think it's it's really disturbing that people are are fine with this. That these conversations are being spread all over and and made into news, and because we all want to be voyeurs, we want to peer into everybody else's life and find out what's happening now because for some reason we feel that we deserve it because UFOs are important.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I guess like you said, um one thing that that comes from this is uh some researchers are now taking Tom a little more seriously seeing that he is meeting with Air Force Command uh people and uh you know skunkworks and and what have you and is actually talking with, with people in the government, not just some crazy You know oh this is what i'm doing but really i'm
0: i'm just in the bushes again that's funny i mean yeah we now have a couple names to to go with the the titles but in most of his interviews his coast interviews and everything else tom all but named all those people you know he would talk about Mm -hmm. meeting with high-level people at skunk works meeting with high-level people at air force base command Like, that was all
1: already out there. (laughs) Oh, definitely. We know the people. It's just a matter of, you know, him actually stating that it was them.
0: And us just all being eager kids, like, wanting spoilers. Like, oh, goody, there's this person. I wonder what they have to say about UFOs. Yeah, that's cool. Like, we're all waiting for that. And they might have something cool to say. They might have nothing to say. They might talk about airplanes. But, you know, we've got to wait and see. Mm -hmm. Patience, people. Patience. (laughs) <laughs> and what I'm not, I, you know, again, like your point, Ryan, I'm not saying at all that, you know, Tom does or does not have anything earth shattering or anything that will, will change anything with the uh, the UFO subject. You know, we'll have to see what the project actually reveals or, or presents to us. Um, right. But that's completely separate from, from what uh, I ranted about and mainly ranting about the hyping of absolutely nothing. <laughs> yep. I couldn't agree more. It right.
2: happens every day with every subject on this uh, phenomenon.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. Right. Well, I think we talked enough about that. So let's move forward to talk about a historical case, because that's always a fantastic part of this show. In my opinion, my favorite part. I know <laughs> some people are tired of talking about old cases. Stop talking about old. What's new? Well, sorry, guys. We're talking about something old, and we're talking about a case, because it's the month of November, we're talking about a case that occurred in November, so just if you haven't listened to the show before, in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation, on each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case, and today we're highlighting a complex case that began in the month of November back in the late 1970s. We're talking about the Gulf Breeze UFO Incidents. In his book, Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist, James Mosley referred to the Gulf Breeze UFO incidents as, quote, one of the wildest and most complicated cases in the annals of recent ufology, rivaled only by Roswell. And I couldn't agree more. This case has a little bit of everything. UFO photographs taken by different cameras, Expert photo authentication, multiple witnesses, extraterrestrials, lie detector tests, threat from secret government agents, and alleged evidence suggesting the whole thing was a giant hoax. All right. So Ed Walters and his family moved to the Pensacola, Florida suburb of Gulf Breeze in the late 1970s. He established himself as a successful home builder contractor and he managed his business from his home office. And it was from this home office that he observed his first UFO. Ed was working in his office one evening when he glanced out his office window and noticed a strange light in the sky that looked different from the commonly seen helicopters and airplanes from nearby Naval Air Station. When he went to the front door to get a better look, he saw a glowing bluish-gray craft silently gliding across the sky. He ran back into the house to grab his Polaroid camera. When he came back out, he took his first UFO photos from the porch. This UFO wasn't the typical saucer-shaped UFO. James Mosley described it as looking like a child's musical top with a row of portals around the midsection and a brightly glowing ring on the bottom. Ed claims the UFO attempted to abduct him when he moved from the porch to the street to get a better view. In his autobiography, The Gulf Breeze Sightings, The Most Astounding Multiple Sightings of UFOs in UFO History, he explains, bang, something hit me, all over my body. I tried to lift my arms, to point the camera, I couldn't move them. They were blue. I was blue. Everything was blue. I was in a blue light beam. The blue beam hit me like compression. It was pressing me firmly, just enough to stop me from moving. This blue beam allegedly lifted Ed off the ground. As he screamed, a voice in his head interrupted, We will not harm you. That didn't stop Ed from screaming. The voice told him to stop screaming, but Ed responded with a, Screw you! The blue beam eventually released Ed. We looked up, the UFO was gone. He told his wife and kids about the encounter. Because of the crazy hostile actions by this unknown craft, Ed and his wife Frances decided the best way to warn people about the UFO was to give the photos to the local newspaper, the Gulf Breeze Sentinel. The photos became front page news. Ed had multiple UFO encounters and communications with the occupants of these UFOs who communicated with him telepathically. His wife even witnessed one of the encounters. Ed and Frances returned to bed on the night that she had witnessed the UFO with Ed but only a half hour later, Ed shot out of bed because he heard the dog barking. Ed grabbed his gun and went to look out the French door separating the bedroom from a screened-in, front por- or a screened-in porch. He saw a short alien-looking creature standing on the other side. He described the creature as being maybe four feet tall with a dark grayish-black box-like thing that hid most of his body. The helmet over its head had clear insert that revealed its eyes, really big eyes that covered the top of its head. Ed said the alien didn't react at all. It just stood there and stared. It casually turned and slowly walked away. For whatever reason, Ed thought it would be a good idea to capture the alien. So he raced outside, but his leg was immediately hit with the paralyzing blue beam from the UFO. He grabbed the door jam. Francis grabbed him, and together, they were able to free him from the beam. Ed had many more sightings, and he continued to photograph the various UFOs he saw. Ed and Francis met with MUFON investigators to assist with the investigation. Ed submitted to a polygraph examination, and the examiner concluded, quote, With the information that is available to this examiner at this time, it is felt that Mr. Walters truly believes that the photographs and personal sightings he had described are true and factual to the best of his ability. Critics suspected Ed's UFO photos were nothing more than double-exposed images intentionally created by Ed. So, Mufon supplied Ed with a sealed camera to prevent film tampering in an effort to see if he could obtain UFO photos under more controlled circumstances. Ed successfully shot 10 photos of a UFO with this camera. Mufon was happy with the results. Mufon held a press conference to announce that the photos taken with the Mufon camera were, quote, taken under scientific, controlled conditions where there is no opportunity whatsoever to hoax fake it, produce double exposures, or anything of this nature. That's what makes this so significant. All of Ed's photos were sent to experts for analysis, including U.S. naval optical physicist and UFO researcher Dr. Bruce McAbee, who concluded that the photos were authentic and showed, quote, unconventional aerial aircraft, and he found no evidence suggesting a hoax. Now, so much controversy with this case, and Ed became somewhat of a local celebrity. He and his family... Uh, They ended up moving to a new house to escape the attention from the UFO enthusiasts. The Pensacola News Journal printed a story reporting that a UFO model had been found in the attic of Ed's former home. And Tommy Smith, a local teenager, came forward claiming that he helped Ed hoax the UFO photos. This allegation prompted MUFON to reopen the case and to investigate the model and Smith's allegations. MUFON investigators determined that the model was not built before September 1989. That's more than eight months after Ed had moved out of that house. A piece of blueprint paper that was part of the model helped them reach that conclusion. MUFON also determined that the model didn't match Ed's photos. The conclusion was that the model was constructed and planted by someone in an attempt to discredit Ed. Although MUFON was satisfied with the results of their investigation, many still doubted the validity of Ed's story and his photos. But others in the Gulf Breeze area saw and photographed UFOs during that time. Residents ranging from teenagers to priests reported seeing UFOs in the area. Gulf Breeze is a polarizing case in the UFO field. Many believe the case is an elaborate hoax. Others think it's a genuine case of extraterrestrial contact. What are your guys' thoughts about
1: this kind of fantastic case? (laughs) This is a tough one, yeah. I mean, as far as we're concerned, most in the UFO community um, do believe this was a hoax. Uh, It's hard to dissuade that um, because of the information brought forward. But it's tough, too, because Walters, you know, he at every point would allow anyone to analyze the photos. Yeah. Um, you know, I know at one point he even gave Maccabee uh, profits from his book that he wrote to analyze the photos and come to some sort of conclusion. Um, but like you mentioned, Jason, so many other people in Gulf Breeze saw, had sightings around this time that this was happening. Uh, so we do have to take that into consideration as well. Um, or it could be, like we've seen before, a mass hysteria in terms of one man seeing something and then it sort of trickles on from there. We we, we sort of term this the UFO syndrome, you know, where <laughs> one person sees something and then everyone sees it. You know, Kenneth Arnold sees a quote unquote flying saucer and then we all see saucers after that. So um, it's interesting. It's compelling. Um, and again, one of the most controversial cases in UFO history.
2: Yeah, I tend to err on. I agree with all your points, Ryan, that uh, it could be a case of mass hysteria or, you know, that is an area too, where there's a lot of aircraft and other, um, things going around and on the coast of Florida. But I tend to lean towards hoax on the Walters situation. There was just too much money being thrown around. There's too much damning evidence. I believe, who knows, maybe he once saw something and ran with it. Um, I just feel kind of strongly towards I I can't put my money on believing that Mr. Breezebot walked up and <laughs> to the door and yeah, you know that, um, you know tr- strangely the drawing he does of Breezebot looks like a child's costume. So if he was going to try to uh, do that, should have dressed up the neighborhood kid and taken pictures of him. Yeah, but yeah. uh, <clears throat> yeah, I I just can't I can't do it. Can't say yeah. that I think it's a legit case. At well, least in terms of Walters, here's the a blueprints
1: final th- too. you know? Here,
0: Here's a mm-hmm. final thought. So if Ed hoaxed everything, Frances was complicit in all of it. She had to have been, and right. if this were true, it is interesting that now divorced neither have come forward to revise their testimonies.
2: Mm. Well, sometimes divorce doesn't mean you want to like throw somebody under the bus. That's either. true. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's very true. And so.
2: and also, it it could be a case where, you know, she wanted to believe her husband so bad that she, you know, she was supposed to be this really loyal woman sure. that she kind of just went with it.
0: Well, regardless, the highly contested Ed Walters UFO sightings in Gulf Breeze remain a major case in UFO history, and we might touch back on this case at some point. There are a lot of interesting points to it, but uh, it's definitely one I recommend looking into, uh, looking at some of the many interesting elements to it. It's a fun one. So with that, let's go ahead and talk with Mr. Ryan Sprague about his brand new book, Ryan, so the book has been out for what now, two weeks?
1: Yeah, a little under two weeks now.
0: And uh, so how's that been for you? How's the reception been?
1: <laughs> it's been pretty awesome, guys. And I, I've i already gotten a lot of feedback from um, a lot of people who were featured in the book mm-hmm. and just how uh, satisfied they were with uh the reception of their personal stories. Uh, for some of these people, it was the very first time coming forward. And uh, you know they trusted me to tell their, their stories as accurate as I possibly could. And it, it's, it's really made some ripples both in their personal lives, their professional lives. And uh, I had one guy tell me that he, after his UFO sighting, he was a pilot, a commercial pilot. He had a sighting um, very similar to that of the Foo Fighter phenomenon. Mm. Um, these orange orbs that he followed for a while and saw on several occasions. Uh, he felt alone. He felt like no one believed him, uh, that he had misidentified it. And we all know the ridicule factor when a pilot comes forward. Um, so he thanked me. He said, you know, I no longer feel alone. The other people you covered in the chapter with me, I, I want to reach out to them. And uh, that's, Kinda of what the book was always supposed to be about, guys, was the human factor and these people telling their stories, the the witnesses and the experiencers over the uh event itself. So uh the reception's been great. I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Um everyone keeps asking when the next one's coming out. Uh, uh, the not pressure's even, on. Yeah, right. Uh that's not even on my mind whatsoever. Right. I just came out with this. Uh but yeah, it's been very very exciting, and uh, I can't wait to see where it goes from here.
2: I, I think that's really great. I think you approached it in a way that actually a lot of people don't understand that even with cases, sometimes you'll come across an abduction story or an experience where you know you're you're really hard pressed to believe it. But the thing is, most of these witnesses believe a hundred percent that this happened to them, and right. they saw what they saw. And you are not in the position to say you didn't see anything this didn't happen to you, even if it ends up being something you you can say, oh, perhaps it was this, or have you looked into this or that, you know, you can still do investigation. But a lot of people forget, like you said, the human factor where you have to be respectful of these people. I mean, you can't just go in and completely annihilate somebody's uh, core beliefs of what they strongly feel they experienced and I think that that's a great way to put it forth here are these stories you know not trying to be like this person's full of it this person uh, mm-hmm. is three sheets to the wind all the time just more <laughs> of like look this is this is the route we're going and, and I think that's you know especially how you earn their trust it doesn't mean everyone's got to believe every story right. or you personally as an author have to believe it it's you're just sharing what is happening and finding a common thread between all these people.
0: Yeah. And I, I agree completely, Ryan. I think this was a fantastic way to, to present it. I think it's the closest thing that you can get to having somebody actually meet with and personally hear uh, stories from people who have uh, these contact stories, these contact experiences, because, Mm -hmm. you know, that personal story that just getting that sense from somebody and hearing the genuine emotion from these people tell their stories is exactly why I will never dismiss the abduction phenomena. As crazy as it sounds, as far fringe as this topic is, when you sit down with these people, when you see the the expressions on their faces, when you hear the the genuine emotion, something did happen to these people, and you know who am I or anybody else to say you know no that didn't happen to you or this is actually what happened to you just like Maureen said uh, you know something happened to them of that they Mm -hmm. are 100% convinced and this isn't a blanket statement of course there are people out there just bullshitting and making up stories absolutely but you know these people when you you can tell when you when you meet with these people and I think you did a really good job of of telling those stories in the right way Ryan that that is the next best thing to actually having somebody sit down and, and personally meet these people I, I hope it it will open people's eyes and and uh, encourage people to accept that something is happening to these people, and it's a confusing and complex phenomenon,
1: and it's something that needs so much more research. Absolutely, I, well, thank you guys, and I mean that that human approach to the alien phenomenon. I, I can I keep stressing to people that it's not alien in the sense of. ETH, mm-hmm. you know, th- this isn't this might not necessarily be extraterrestrial in origin. Um this event was alien and foreign to the person experiencing it. And like you said, Jason, like it's about the aftermath and how that changed their lives. Yeah. And these people are the backbone to the data, to the history, to the dates that these events occurred on. And that's what I wanted to focus on, you know, the who and the why rather than the what and the uh, you know, the where. Yeah. So um, I appreciate that, you guys, you you sort of tapped into that, and that's what I was trying to get across. They are the backbone to ufology, and we have to consider that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't cast judgment in the book whatsoever. I give theories on what I think it might be, but when it comes down to it, it is about those witnessing UFOs and experiencing possible non-human contact. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been, been very exciting, and... Uh, I'm excited to hear what uh, the UFO community uh, and the mainstream think about it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, there are lots of stories in there, um, lots of really interesting ones too. If I put you on the spot right now and and make you just pull one out that uh, is interesting, (laughs) that you'd kind of like to give a a brief introduction to or an overview, uh, is there one that comes to mind?
1: Absolutely. I I was actually just speaking on the phone uh, yesterday with uh, a woman named Patty who I cover her story extensively in the book, between her and her two daughters. And uh, this happened back in uh, 2006 when Patty had a very dramatic triangular UFO sighting uh, over her home, which was a few miles away from Lake Michigan. Um, So she's heading out to walk her dogs one night and they won't come off the porch. And she's wondering why she looks up over the tree line at her home and she sees this triangular object. Uh, She starts yelling for her younger daughter, Jennifer, to come outside, you know, make sure she's not crazy. Um, Jennifer comes out and they both watch this thing start to hover right over their home. And we're talking like 100 feet up. So this thing was very, very close. Um, And what was very interesting about this case, guys, and Maureen, I know you can contest to this afterwards. uh, Patty heard like a low humming sound or like a whooshing sound when she witnessed this triangle. And her daughter, Jennifer, she could hear uh, this unbearable noise, so she starts covering her ears. So right then you have the mother and daughter having a completely different perception in terms of their, their senses of what was going on during a singular event. And Patty felt very calm and euphoric while the daughter was absolutely petrified of what was happening. Um, so this story sort of evolves from here, guys. Um, Patty and the daughter start having other experiences in their home after this. And uh, the younger daughter, excuse me, the older daughter had a... No, no you nope. I was right. Yeah, the younger daughter, Jessica. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah the uh, older daughter was, daughter was the one that came outside. <laughs> Correct. Yes,
1: this is why I have you here, Maureen. <laughs> um, she, Jessica, witnessed a small being coming out of her parents' bedroom. Uh, she described it as having a disproportionately large head two black eyes which we hear about all the time and this thing is silently making its way through the home and jessica runs into her room gets under the covers and her mother patty eventually comes in to wish her good night and this thing is just following behind patty um sort of you know surveying the area and again jessica can't say anything she's too terrified she's frozen um And then the thing sort of just drifts out of the room after Patty leaves. Uh, So these sort of events just start to uh, evolve and get more and more strange as time goes on. And it starts to really affect this family dynamic. You know, they're not talking to one another. They feel very alienated. And uh, I caught up with the daughters many years later. Um, And one of them is off to college and started a family family. And uh, they want nothing to do with this. They don't want to talk about it anymore. They were willing to talk about it for the book, but that was sort of it. While Patty, uh, the one who had the Catalyst event, as it were, uh, she wants to dig deeper into this. She keeps having experiences. So it's very interesting. Uh, The daughters, they were able to finally confront all of this, and their answer to it was to pray. Ah, uh, they thought this was some sort of demonic or evil presence in their home, and they prayed, and that was their resolution, and that was their closure. Um, and I found this with various other witnesses and experiencers as well. It's how they deal with the aftermath of the experience itself. Um, again, Patty keeps having experiences. Uh, like I said, I talked to her just yesterday, and this was a case, guys, where I just I was heartbroken for this family. It really tore them apart. And this thing was just sort of dropped into their laps and um, it continues to evolve from there. And again, it's that human implication to the experience that caught my attention most. So, yeah, that is just one of many stories I cover in the book.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting, their, their story. And I actually haven't spoken uh, to the girls since I was at the house. And uh, so that's interesting to hear that their their resolution now was prayer they were both very terrified and you get the genuine sense that they just didn't know what to do. Um, and there's a lot of other interesting facets to the case where they started having, um, you know, weird electrical problems and a bunch of strange stuff happening and they have an electrician that came out and witnessed it. And he just, he had, he was blown away. He won't talk about it anymore, at least not on camera. I'll tell you that. But, um, (laughs) But it's very interesting, because you these are genuine people. They're a normal family. They're not you know, when you meet them, you they live in a normal looking house and suburbs, and you know they're just this little family unit, but they were very distraught. and yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you can't you can't say i i explained it it was it was kind of like the home was a little bit of a skinwalker ranch where they were experiencing all sorts of weird phenomena including right. what they thought were ghosts they thought that the house was haunted as well and um the younger daughter jessica was sleeping with a base a little teeny baseball bat under her pillow because she was so frightened right. of seeing this little bean or whatever it was go into yeah. i think her both her sister and her her parents house and um i know jennifer had woken up thinking someone was in the room multiple times and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just a lot of stuff and, and you can't really tell this whole family, you know, you guys are all crazy or there's some natural explanation. There might be, who knows, but, mm-hmm. but there's something weird going on there and that's, you can definitely say that something weird is happening. It's been documented by, uh, you know, multiple outside parties. So who knows, but yeah, it's a fascinating case and people should definitely read more up on it in your book. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you, Ryan. Yes. After doing this book and talking to all these people, has it changed your mindset or opinions uh, sort of about the experience or abduction phenomenon? Absolutely. I mean, guys, I will be the first to admit going
1: into this book, uh, I wasn't exactly clear on uh, when penning it to the publisher how I wanted to approach the UFO topic and bring something new to the table in terms of ufology. Um, When I started to narrow in, I was like, all right, I'm just going to go talk to a couple people about their UFO sightings, whatever. Cool. Let's start there. Um, That started when I spoke to a woman named Claudette Huber, who's in the book. And I sat down with her and her husband and just watching her shake as she was recalling her incident that happened to her as a young child with a possible abduction experience and watching her husband be there for her. Uh, that, that was the pinnacle moment when I knew what I wanted to write about. And again, it was that human implication. This happened when Claudette was four years old. She hadn't talked about it for over 30 years until she came to me with it. Um, so right there, I, I knew what I wanted to write about. And that was the aftermath and what these people perceived, what happened to them and how that's impacted their lives. Um, so yes, uh, it is, it's changed me in terms of my belief in the experiencer phenomena. Uh, do I necessarily believe aliens are coming down, kidnapping human beings, experimenting on them? I cannot say. I, I don't have a clear answer for that. What I do know is that these people are experiencing something they cannot put into a conventional box, first of all, and that has drastically impacted their lives. One gentleman became a priest after it happened. Um, you know, others uh, had these sort of doors in their minds unlocked and they became artists, having no interest in that beforehand. Mm. Um, so whatever these experiences are, it is changing people, it is opening them up in their. Their awareness is sort of unlocked, that veil's been lifted, and now, you know, whatever these phenomena are is inviting itself in. Um, and not to get too out there, but yeah, I am more open to the possibility uh, that, that these things are happening now. Um, I can say that with certainty um, after meeting with these people, listening to them. Uh, they firmly believe this happened, and I'm not here to cast judgment. I'm just here to tell their story.
0: Well, please go buy the book. The book is fantastic. Ryan, where, where can people go to pick up your brand new book?
1: Uh, easiest is Amazon. It's available in paperback and ebook, or they can go to richarddolanpress.com, or they can find my other work at somewhereintheskies.com. Fantastic. Well, with that, let's wrap up this show.
0: This show and other great content can always be found on our website, rogueplanet.tv. UFO Mod Pod is also on Google Play Music. And of course, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a stellar review if you enjoy the show. Also, we love hearing from you. Let us know what stories you'd like us to discuss, or let us know if there's a UFO-related event coming up, and we'll be happy to mention it on the show. How can you reach us? Well, we're all over the place. We have a contact form on the website you can use. You can also email us at hq at TV, or you can find us individually on Facebook, Twitter, etc. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan
1: Sprague.
2: And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Keep your eyes to the skies.